0: This might be great for anybody else, you know, kind of getting started is get past you. They wouldn't be taking the meeting if they didn't have some sense that you're an okay guy and you know Mm -hmm. what you're doing. Right. Get past you and get right to the deal as quick as you can. Not close hard. But, you know, people are investing. They see lots of deals. Right. Yeah. They're busy and they just don't have a lot of time for all the reasons. You're such a great guy and they should just take a chance with you. That's great. They know that you're a big part of the deal. They wouldn't be talking to you if not. Tell me how the deal works, right? What's the risk and return? And then especially if we're starting out in the business, you know, do you really, as a young person who may have blind spots, look like the kind of guy that has a lot of blind spots or only a few?
1: Well, I'm excited to welcome back to the show, my man, Mr. Tom Hoban. How are we doing?
0: Hey, good man. How are you, bro?
1: You know, we just, we, I just gave you a little, little narrative and backstory on how things have been going in, uh, in my world, which has been, you know, a turbulent time, um, which I know we'll probably dig into at some point today. But I'm excited for kind of our, our listener today, our, at least when we were talking, because you and I can go for hours on many different directions when you find somebody that shares common values, is a wise sage like you are, uh, who gives a ton of value, but is also, you know, always doing something big and motivating and challenging and inspiring. Uh, I get excited to have these kind of conversations and I'm wanted our, our, our guests to kind of be a part of our catch up. You know, I look at you as a mentor, as a friend, as somebody that's had massive success, but stands for all the right things and goes about it the right way. And so those are the people I always want to learn and grow from myself. And then when I get to offer, you know, uh, I guess a little bit of a sounding board for other people to keep in and get a little taste of your wisdom today, I figured it'd be a great episode and call to record. So it might be a little bit different than our traditional... Style of millionaire mindcast podcasting, but I know it's probably going to be 10x the value, and for those that are listening that are real estate investors and you know this fun world, the syndication opportunity path of wealth building and you know what's out there in the landscape and the real estate investment world and how that's really become available and um, something that many people can take advantage of, we're going to talk about that today and get some advice from one of the wisest dudes and most successful dudes in that space. Um, so Tom, welcome back in. What the heck has been going on with you, dude?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's good to see you, man. I, I, I'm i glad I reached out and it's just a delight to be on with you, honestly. what The work you're doing and the way you pour out, uh, I became a follower of your podcast, you know, when somebody brought you to my attention and then you thought maybe i'd have something to offer a year ago when we got on That was in the middle of covid when i was cutting my own hair and before i grew a beard and <laughs> i was like dang dude uh, you're like mess. the sexiest man
1: on earth now you know you <laughs> yeah. look like you ran out of a dumpster back <laughs> yeah. then and we're all rolling out of bed every day now you look like you should be on the magazine of gq well it's funny
0: a lot of you know we all have our own little you know you know covid's over when stories right and for me yeah. it was uh, when i get back on a basketball court you know in a legit pickup game somewhere and uh you know i'm in I'm old enough that I shouldn't be playing, but that, that was one. And then, you know, I could actually go to a barber and, you know, the overindulge myself again. there in the chair and not worry about it. Right. You so, <laughs> know, a few things. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's been a great, great uh, year. Or so even though it's been hard uh, on everybody, really, uh, uh, we can't run past uh, this past year and the impacts of school closures on our children and kind of, you know, what, there's this, this old malaise here that seems to be infecting uh elements of, of of the the country. I'm particularly paying attention to young men right now. They just kinda, you know, low participation rate in the workforce and a lot of kind of interesting things, uh low, lower college admissions. So there's all those macro things going on. And in the okay. meantime, we're trying to, you and I, you know, run real estate businesses. And yes. um, you know, uh for listeners and, and followers who who don't know, I've spent 35 years in uh, commercial real estate uh, up in the Puget Sound Seattle area. And a working a uh, uh, property management business that now manages uh, you know five six billion dollars worth of uh, apartment office you know self storage. Back in the day, I'd manage anything that moved. Man, I mean, I could tell you stories about managing horse I farms say, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but, listen, we're going to have to yeah. give
1: people an idea
2: of where yeah. this all
1: started for you too, because there's yeah. so many you know nuggets of wisdom in that journey. Of they hear the five to six billion dollars worth of real estate, right, and go, okay, there's some for sure experience and winning well, that has happened along man- the way. Yeah,
0: you bet. yeah, we're fee managers in that setting, right? So that kind of gives you this uh, front row seat to, uh, you know, learn the business when you're young and 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 kind of, you know, watch what works and what doesn't. And then, you know, maybe 15 years ago or so, we, uh, my brothers, my business partner, we, we started investing in the market ourselves so we could Really, so we could keep the property management business. Uh, most people kind of don't stay in it as long as we have. Uh, mm-hmm. We liked it. We love being job creators and the community that we can create through through owning a you know business that touches that many people. Um, you know, we formed a family office where our mandate is to favorably influence the lives of a million souls. And man, you can touch a lot of people, and hopefully in a slightly favorable way. Um, uh, you know, through a property management platform that reaches into you know twenty five thousand households and you know, a bunch of office and retail space. So that's what that business does. It, uh, we have other people working in it every day with us, doing a great job of running it. Um, and then started that investing thing. And we, it's interesting. We're super risk averse. We're kind of singles and doubles guys. So when we started jumping into investing, we, we looked at our own book and then did a bunch of data scrubbing in the markets we were in. So, well, what product type, what geographic area, you know, what, what strategy, you know, works best here. And, uh, Um, We kind of landed on core plus suburban, you know, fully amenitized kind of 150 unit, you know, to 300 unit apartment buildings would look like the right story for us. And, but they're a lot bigger than we had the money to afford, right? So we became syndicators very early in our careers, right? Which did people even call it that back then? Uh, it's kind of a pejorative, to be honest. It's kind of that, you know, syndicator. I don't know. That just kind became of, a marketable title. I yeah. Guess. I think because if you're, because we, we hear these things about being a criminal syndicate, you know, <laughs> and maybe it, there was a rub off there, but that was, something uh you know i mean we sometimes we just call it direct invest right so there's sort of a couple ways to raise money to go buy income properties one would be to raise a fund well it's pretty tough to do if you haven't done that before you don't have people in the room that have done it and we're just operators our alpha is management work just wake up and try to you know run these things well
1: let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions and, of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com
0: uh, the other is just, you know, put your own money on the table and go find other people have enough to fill that down payment bucket, you know, match it with some debt and go buy a deal. Right. So mm-hmm. that's been the game. And we, you know, probably done a rinse and repeat on 25 or 30 of those over the last 15 years. So pretty experienced. And you were telling a story, one of your podcasts that got my attention, you know, about how those things can kind of go rocky. In fact, it might be interesting to talk about, you know, how, you know, for maybe some of our, um, uh, Newer to commercial real estate, you know, followers and whatnot. You know, I've learned a lot. I've mentored a lot of other people and uh, There's care so a lot about things. success. And boy, man, if if I could help them avoid a couple of, you know, those pitfalls, that'd be great. That'd be a fun thing to kind of break down.
1: Well, you don't. Who who wants to talk about their losses, right? Like in the moment when you're going through it, it sucks, oh, and yeah. it's and it's it's well, it's it's humbling. Sometimes it can feel embarrassing. Sometimes it can be depressing, frustrating. But all of those in hindsight, when you when you really look back and kind of the rearview mirror of how they played out, are usually the inflection points of of taking you to a better version of yourself, a better version of opportunities, or or leading you on a path of bigger and better opportunities. And you kind of have to go through that that suckiness, that shitty moment, you know, or season to kind of get there, right? But when you're still whole and you learned and gained, you know, wisdom from it, it gives you the ability to kind of feel some confidence when you hear other people talking about it, being like, Oh yeah, I got plenty of those too. So I, I thought that when you mentioned that it would be such a great idea. Cause you know, oftentimes people just talk about the highlight wins all the time. And I was going through what I thought was going to be, you know, doubling our, um, I mean, it was going to take our our company revenue between these three hotels, you know, from about th- a little over three to seven, close to close to seven um, within a, you know, 12 and a half month, 14 month time frame. Um, so you go from thinking you're going to double um, your revenue and your company essentially, and your keys and, you know, our operations and getting scale and kind of getting past this like messy middle of just the grind and the hustle of not being at full, you know, scale and being able to run what feels like a real company to then the deal hit roadblocks and challenges. And, you know, the economy, our bank, um, when they started raising rates, you know, our bank, Retraded us on LTV. They raised the rate alongside, you know, everybody else kind of got spooked and it felt like we were going through this deal of what felt like check every single box hotel right next door to the other one of the other, you know, three hotels that I own up there. Um, it would have doubled our team. It had commercial laundry facilities, it had everything we wanted. Commercial core deal financially penciled, and then all of a sudden that happened. And then you know we had to essentially either bring another two and a half million dollars to the table to cover that delta of what you know the the difference was, or you know it was a dead deal and we were already working with a pretty challenging savvy savvy seller, shrewd seller, not a lot of wiggle room with this guy, knew he had a great asset, ran it really really well, strong operator um and you know he had i think five or six other hotels that were all just fifteen to thirty million dollar hotels and um, got him to carry back the two and a half million dollar difference so I was like cool we're we're back on track obviously the economics of the deal and you know the shift in capital that needed to be brought to the table and obviously what you know that financial change added to the portfolio or the pro forma it made the deal a little bit thinner it spooked out the equity partner that I had who ultimately was we were 50, 50 on the asset. So it was one equity partner that was going to be contributing that, that equity. So I had all my eggs in this one basket. That was a learning lesson, you know, um, because when we got to the closing table with all those things that had happened, still got the deal in terms of the loan approved. And we got the bank to, you know, sign off on everything. We're getting ready to move to docks and close got the seller to carry back that additional debt and second position. We'd fought tooth and nail for this deal. Everything that could have derailed it, almost derailed it. We got there and the equity partner got cold feet, said he didn't want to do the deal. And that was one of those moments where you get so deflated, right? You do it. You feel like you do everything right. And sometimes, you know, every deal is an ordeal, has an ordeal and stuff comes up. So. How do you protect on those downsides, like from all of the deals that you've been in and out of some of those things that are like, I feel like I did everything in my control and I still lost, you know, what, what do you, um, yeah. what do you see from your side that I could have done better there or thought about differently in terms of maybe building a moat for that deal to get done still?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Cause I, the very first deal I got on, um, it was a 33-unit apartment building. I had a pretty significant equity partner. We needed, you know, you're dealing with OPM, other people's money that just, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta... When you don't have it at that scale yeah, yet, you're dealing yeah. with other people's and, money, And actually, right? in the model we have today, even though, you know, we probably could self-fund a lot of our deals, we we prefer this model now. Actually, it's kind of neat because now we're serving people, you know, bringing them a product that they need and and yep. uh, helping other people out. So I kind of flipped my thinking on that. But initially... You know, we're young. We don't know what we're doing. I'm chasing this this deal. This guy's locked up, and he kind of pulled out last minute, killed the deal too, and I lost. You know, my thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, we walked away you know, from deposit. 100. Yeah, it's it's painful. I that was thirty grand. I didn't have you know time to just burn very <laughs> easily. You know, so <laughs> you never have much much. Of, you know, every dollar matters, yeah. you know. So was hard. You know, it's expensive lessons, right? But anyway, he he brought me in. And he said, "I, I got a bailout on you," and uh, yeah, I knew he felt bad about it, but he had to do it. He had. He had some reasons to do it that, mm-hmm. you know, that, and I gave him the whole, but you promised and you signed and, you know, but what am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. What are and, you going to do? Try to die on this hill and, and, and still lose and never win him back or turn him into an investor. And I just said, why? And he said, well, things have gone pretty well for you so far in your career. And I'm only 28, 29 years old. And I said, yeah, they've gone pretty well, I guess, you know? And, uh, he says, okay, great. That's your problem. He said, I want you to come back and see me. After you've had your ass kicked three times, amen it, and uh, an older guy, he had been around, and so I'm kind of upset and everything. But leave. anyway, five years later, I come back after three major ass kicks, <laughs> and now I get it, right? So what he's teaching you, and what you know, these experiences teach us, is that we have blind spots, especially as we're building our our career, no matter how much uh, help we have from great mentors and advisors and our natural curiosity, those things all help and they they reduce the number of blind spots we have. But we're going to get we're going to get some ass kickings no matter how hard we try. So in fact, I'll just I'll give you a couple examples of how how they've happened to us, and then maybe maybe we could spend some time talking about how to reduce the risk of those, right? Because mm-hmm. now, now you know there's some new risk, like when interest rates run on, really, this is all, what happened to you is just a direct result of interest rates running on you. Well, you know, I started in the business in 1984 out of college when interest rates were 18%. I'm aware that they can be very high. <laughs> in fact, 5% doesn't seem that high to me today, right? Uh, but they got to go from really low to to there and when when things move then you know banks get nervous and LTVs change and then that changes the equity requirement which now squeezes down your return because you got to pay for that second deed of trust uh, that you st- stuck in there and that can kind of tweak things up okay so interest rate movement you know causes me problems no longer a blind spot but I the deals that we've been been uh had uh, uh you know they haven't been horrible outcomes you know maybe we we didn't make money but we didn't lose money you mm-hmm. know um, or, you know, we walked away from a deal and lost our deposit, but, you know, we never actually got into the deal. Um, uh, what we, we owned an apartment building, not far from the largest Boeing plant in the country, which is in Everett, Washington, a little North of Seattle. And there's a, you know, some apartments down the street, a whole bunch of them. And, uh, you imagine they're full of, you know, Boeing workers, right? Mm-hmm. Probably a third of the tenant base is. Well, when the terrorists on 9/11, interesting, we're talking about this the day after that mm-hmm. uh, the tragic uh, anniversary, um, because they used airplanes to to attack, everybody froze up and didn't want to fly, and contracts between airlines and. Well, many contracts, but between the airlines and Boeing have carve outs for riot and war and all these things, and they can cancel their orders without any penalty and they did it's like, oh, we don't know if anybody's even going to get an airplane again, right? Looks like it's pretty scary right now so so Boeing just sends pink slips out to everybody, and they all just move back to Oklahoma or wherever they're from, and you know my building's a third empty, like in a matter of six weeks, and that's it, you know now you're out of out of whack with your loan covenants and all. so now so anyway, fast forward right? what so, so now I got to think about, the, like, my risk now is if terrorists use airplanes to do... Da- no, actually, what I learned is that I should never have a concentration of tenants employed by a single employer over some percentage. And, and that has been diversity. Baked, Yeah, it's been baked into our underwriting ever since. Ever since. I, I think it's 15% max is the most we'll take. So, for example, that's cut us out of student housing. We won't touch it there's all kinds of opportunities in student housing a lot of it looks really good mm-hmm. but the reality is you're feeding off a single employer who by the way could be your top competitor if they start building student housing on campus and they're you know they've got a strong enough endowment to do that they've got reasons to do it because as crime goes up they tend to kind of want to pull their kids in closer to campus and yep. so the off-campus housing slips so there's one right so you know other you know lessons have just been things around the people side of it, right? Maybe, maybe we had an investor we thought was locked up, but we didn't, maybe, you know, we, we went on handshakes too long. And then when it came down to actually signing papers, you know, uh, he, he didn't check off with his team or his accountant or the other members of his LLC. And so we made a promise he couldn't keep. We didn't know that. We thought he'd checked all those boxes, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yep. So the people side, definitely you gotta, you know, get, get savvy with that. And then, and then interest rates, thankfully, we haven't had too much trouble with it. We expect, there to be some wiggle, not as much as we've had the last six months. But um, you know, when, when we know what when that cause happens, we know what the effects are. Now you do. Um, but that's just because I happen to have been around long enough to see what happens in those environments. Yeah. Now so there's, you know, it's calling, you know, the mistakes you make, Cash. Um a lot of times in the front end is is where this all can kind of happen, right? So when you're your followers might be, you know, thinking, well, I'm going to go buy this deal. I need some other investors. So, you know, he organizes everything into an LLC. He's going to tuck some LPs in behind him and he's got, you know, a little bit of friends and family over here and then he's got to go cold and talk to a bunch of other people. In fact, actually one of my sons is doing that now. He's out doing his own real estate development and, nice. uh, you know, he, you know, he didn't want any help from me. So that's fine. And, uh, uh, but he's his own man. And so I, I said, well, you know, good luck going walking out cold at 28 years old on your, First or second deal, you know, and see so, how, and he did he raised you know quite a bit actually from you know about ten different people, and uh so the first thing he learned, and this might be great for anybody else, you know, kind of getting started is uh, get past you, they wouldn't be taking the meeting if they didn't have some sense of that you're an okay guy and you know mm-hmm. what you're doing right, get past you uh and get right to the deal as quick as you can, not close hard, but you know people have lots you know people are investing in 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 they see lots of deals, right? Yeah. They, 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 and they're busy and they just don't have a lot of time for all the reasons you're such a great guy and they should just take a chance with you. That's great. They know that you're a big part of the deal and they wouldn't be talking to you if not. Tell me how the deal works, right? What's yeah. the risk and return? And then especially if we're starting out in the business, you you? know, have you, do you really, as a young person who may have blind spots, uh, look like the kind of guy that has a lot of blind spots or only a few? I was gonna say, how do you overcome that? newness to kind of like looking to take that next step up you know well, this is you... why it's so like what you do you, you 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 actually have wisdom because you hang around other people who have wisdom right mm-hmm. now just because we're you know we're uh we have wisdom uh from past I- history doesn't mean all of it will apply to the future so you you know you gotta you know somebody says well yeah this is the, this is the way you do it oh you gotta read this book this guy's gotta yeah okay, fine. I got to live in this world today and tomorrow. So I'm going to do it my way, but I'm going to take that under advisement. That's a big way. You know, do you have the kind of people around you who have enough wisdom to help guide you? And then do you look like you're smart enough and have enough critical thinking skills and any kind of track record to prove that you can take that stuff in, but you're not just, you know, a monkey see monkey do, right? You Mm -hmm. you've got some discernment in you and you can understand how it goes. Well, a big, A big thing that I know when we're evaluating other people's deals as an LP, so now they're coming to pitch me from time to time, right? I'm really looking for the resilience, this ability, you've just been through this, you know, (laughs) it's a family loss, you know, your poor dog had passed, you know, he had a deal that was, you know, that's what an ass kicking looked like. It comes in a chunk, (laughs) right? (laughs) And, and, you know, what are you made of? Yeah. Have any resilience. And so I don't, there's no formula to figure out what someone's resilience quotient is, but you know, especially in uh, you know, real estate deals have their highs and lows. But there's some elements of them that are kind of predictable. There's no you know, like IP and there's no patent and there's you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like these VC plays are, are the kind of thing where some kind of times there are people who who can start up businesses who will just will them to success somehow, right? So yeah, you know, now you can stay in them too long and keep losing people money if there's no there there, but. I do, I do care. I think a lot of success in syndicating real estate deals, because a lot of times we're holding them for a chunk of time. And, you know, yeah. are you, are you here for the long haul? Can I trust you to do good work? And are you tough enough to get through the tough times and not lay around and wallow and blame others and all that? You know, it's the way my, uh, my dad, who's, uh, <laughs> we're Irish Catholic. And, uh, my dad's so proud of it. He's still around his late eighties, you know, Korean war era guy, you know, the whole tough, you know, kind of. Reminds me of
1: Clint Eastwood. I would love to be at your Thanksgiving dinner table oh, and hear well, some I'll... of the stories of your pops.
0: Yeah, we're never, You know, we're never, we're Irish, so you're never quite sure if they're all true. You know, that's how <laughs> how we Irish know. You know, if if you need a stronger punchline at the end, you know, it's okay to color a story a little if you're Irish. But no, he he, he would say, uh, you know, you you to uh, me and my younger brother. You know, you, you know, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to make it in your 20s in business, but you do possess one advantage: you're Irish. And the one thing about Irish is they get their ass kicked a lot. They get right back up and run right into the fight, right? So that was his sort of way of saying, you know, be resilient. Don't lay on the ground yeah. very long. It's like football. You know, you get, your, you, you get your hat knocked off, you know, pick your hat up, get back in the huddle, even if you're a little stung mm-hmm. you know, and just go. And I do think that matters in when you're syndicating real estate deals. And I think it's something that LPs look for is that resilience quotient, mostly because real estate, is is really kind of an operating business full of lots of tedious deals that are uh details that have to be organized in yeah. in, a, in a manner toward a common goal and Then you gotta really watch it's like running a retail business you gotta really watch the details hotel even more so right you got all this you know ratings you gotta watch and you got the hotel customers you got every day money. there's a lot of stuff going on there yep you have it to get through the tough times when things don't go well whether they're knocking you down at home or they're you know you in the face in the deal you got to get through those tough times and get through them quick that's that might that might be actually more important than than you know h- how well can you calculate the return on investment after yeah. my pref <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? well i think a lot of people get hung up on that piece too right
1: where they 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 have the grit and the stamina and the determination but they get hung up on the fact that they think they need to understand and be the expert in the money or the financial modeling side of it how how do you suggest newer people coming into this space and, and this can be applied to any business or any kind of you know pursuing of a, a new business or goal or passion how do they overcome that initial you know hurdle mentally of structuring and and proceeding forward and executing with the plan and just getting out of their own way
0: yeah well whether you advertise that as part of who you are or they're just there but the more experience and wisdom you can surround yourself with to guide you along the way the better the better your chances are of, of you know avoiding big pitfalls but there are some realities that are unavoidable so let's just take an example of a deal you're gonna buy a picket uh, a 50 unit apartment building or office building or something mm-hmm. um you know it, it, there's going to be a lender involved. We need leverage to make these work. So let's start with, let's not over-leverage, but let's not under-leverage the deal, right? We need leverage. Or we can't find a return. So kind of find that sweet spot. And, and, and so when things go really bad, it's the over-leveraged deals that fall out of their loan covenants. Now you got to contribute more equity. Now you got the one thing you don't ever want to do, if you, if you can ever avoid it, is go to your investors for a cash call. That's the beginning of the end in many mm-hmm. cases, right? So, you know, reduce the risk of that by getting some sensible leverage on it. Um, You know, and everybody kind of has their own number. Our our magic spot is kind of 67%, 68% kind of works for these apartment buildings we buy. So, um, and then have a deep appreciation if you're young and you're moving forward. Do the research to figure out what it's going to take to uh, secure a a legit loan on this thing and what that guarantor's balance sheet needs to look like. Because you probably are walking in the door without it. And you're gonna to need to drag somebody else in, then have a deep respect for the risk that they're taking. Mm. We've had a long, really good run here since the real estate crash um you know of of you know not a lot of loan defaults and blood in the water, you know, but those of us who have been through an s and l crisis and you know high interest rate environment and the crash and all that. we know what guarantor risk really looks like, right so yep find a guarantor whose balance sheet can stand tall and then respect them in that environment so that they're compensated some way. If they're, they're not already an investor, you know, they get some extra pop of some kind for stepping in and, uh, co-signing on that, uh, loan as, as the guarantor. And I'm sure, you know, most of the people sophisticated enough to go buy a real estate deal, know this, but all guarantors are not alike, you know, and I, I, my first job out at, uh, College was at a bank, and it was right in the middle of the SNL crisis. So, unfortunately, I I didn't get to wake up and make many loans to people doing really well. I spent a lot of time over in the special assets section because I was a you know piece of meat fresh out of college, and I could count <laughs> you know you know you know helping helping the bank figure out you know how, how hard should we start squeezing these borrows before we foreclose on assets. And uh, if they're personally guaranteed loans, then the first thing you do is go to the one guarantor. If there's you know two or three of them in there that's got the most liquidity and the strongest balance sheet go get relief there. I mean, you only have so many dollars to spend on your legal team to go sue people to try to, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, get them to uh, perform on their loan. And um, so just recognize that, you know, if you're young, and you're getting started and you're, Hey, I'm standing tall in there as a guarantor. I got all my stuff on, on the line too. It doesn't really mean that much. If things go bad, the bank's going to go where they can get the most relief. So the heavy on the guarantee is, important one to understand and maybe appreciate and respect in the room until you're in a position where to do that yourself because that's yeah. that's the gp's obligation
1: so what about like a 10 or a you know 15 million dollar purchase would uh you know or what maybe is a rule a good rule of thumb for a balance sheet guarantor for every tier of purchasing power Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network
0: I wish I had good memory on those, you know, there's, there's, you know, banks have really clear stuff on the ratios and the liquidity requirements. So really look for liquidity, you know, what kind of stock yeah. portfolio do you have? You might have a little cash around a lot of times. It'll help if you move your business, you know, your banking relationships over to them, if it's a commercial bank. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you get up to these kind of, now what you, you get up to kind of non-recourse, now you've got a little less risk on the guarantee, except for what they call the carve outs for really bad behavior, you know, fraud. Yeah, you know, really bad stuff that you you the you know if you're doing. Clause. It's not yeah, it's not accidental. It's usually your own doing. Yeah. So uh so non-recourse is a different animal entirely, but um uh but they'll look in deep to uh to the liquidity and and uh so you know I would think you know it'd be tough to probably, you know, you know, secure a loan of ten to fifteen million. Uh, if you didn't have a guarantor that had, you know, at least uh, 10% of that and just pure liquidity and maybe a balance sheet that could stand up to, uh, 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 you know, at least half of that or so, uh, the bank's going to do, I probably sound like I'm way out over my skis if there's a banker listening, but, you know, the bank's going to figure, you know, we we have a default situation here, uh, but for the borrower to stay in the seat, that's the best thing for them. They don't actually want the asset back through a foreclosure. That costs them a lot of money, and it tends yep. not to work out because there's usually, you know, uh, a problem in the market. You don't want to sell into a bad market. Yep. But you know, fifty percent of the loan, uh, if if the borrower had to save it, uh, and they had enough cash and some other assets they could liquidate. They were uncorrelated to the real estate deal they're in. Uh, you know, I feel pretty good about that. So I'm I'm guessing that that's kind of what the balance sheets need to look like to. Stand up to that kind of thing, and then they're going to ask for any investors uh typically uh, you've experienced this too. I mean, they're going to typically ask any individual lP that's got more than maybe twenty percent position in the total equity pool they'll probably ask them to step in with a guarantee too mm-hmm. um, so keep that in mind as you're out raising capital, you know maybe you don't want anybody else to you know you don't, that's not what the LP signed up for was to you know also take on a bunch of guarantee risk. Yeah. So maybe you need to go out the door recognizing that, you know, I can't just rely on one heavy and a couple small ones here. I got to I gotta find a bunch of people, you know, if I'm raising, you know, 5 million bucks, I can't have anybody over, you know, say 20% of that. Um, so that's, you know, that's something to think about, too. And then there's just this reality in the marketplace of LPs, you know, private high net worth individuals, the kind of people you might run into through, you know, networks and things like that. Not Not big private equity pooled you know, funds and things like that. But the kind of people that kind of get people like me started, you know, that are just sort of, you know, handful of people in, in town, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of in that, you know, hundred to $500,000 range anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. And they all know somebody that's it. That's everybody wants to, I what is that thing you know like you send your kids to this school and you're all in and you think it's the best and you want everybody else to send their kids to that school or sign up for this soccer team or whatever because yeah, whatever I'm doing must be you know it's validated if everybody else does it. People actually do that investing too, you know. I'm I'm in I'm in with mad mad on this thing over here and they'll tell tell other people if you make room for them invite them in. Um, yep. So yeah, that can help.
1: Yep. There's uh um a, a new deal that uh has kind of come across my plate. So I figured this would be a good one to talk about with a couple of people. Because if you're somebody that gets a great deal, right? And you are punching above your, you know, your weight class, there's ways that you're going to have to creatively think about keeping yourself in the deal and structuring it in a way that makes sense to get the deal done, right? Until you get to Tom's stage where you've got all the punching power that you need to get these deals done, right? And so if somebody has got an opportunity and I'll just talk about the one that I've got a buddy of mine, um, Houston operator, strong operator already has, you know, a good chunk of real estate doing prop. kind of honestly reminds me of your model, you know, probably when you were first starting out, he's got, you know, four or five apartment complexes, a couple hundred doors in Houston property manages for some other groups as well. Um, And got a great opportunity in the nicest, the nicest zip code in all of Houston. Um, 206 units, gonna be about a five and a half million cap raise, you know, strong area, a location, out of state owner that's owned it for 30 years and has just barely done enough to kind of have it printing some cash for him passively, but an absentee owner. So it's a home run deal from at least the financial modeling that I'm looking at and going, all right, well, you know, whether you're getting in on the deal as a GP, based on all the different ways to structure things, what for people that are trying to insert themselves into deals or coming across opportunities are good ways that you've seen for people in those positions that can't do it all by themselves to structure the deal to be in the game. Because that's ultimately what what you want over the long term until you can take it all down by yourself, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh gosh. I the the line of people is so long that have come across a deal they like, they tie it up and the clock's ticking. And, you know, when you're a buyer in today's market, you don't have a lot of time, you know, uh, land deals, you have time, but you know, you're buying a straight over tackle apartment deal. You got to move fast. Right. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to be thinking is if I don't know where that 5 million equity raises, if I, and if I don't have probably about eight, million that people have told me, you know, when I add it all up, all the different people have said, yeah, I'll invest. If you get a deal that looks and smells like this, let me know. And yeah, I can turn around quickly and I'll do, you know, one, two or three of those with you. That's kind of what, you know, that's, it's really a pledge, right? We're really going around getting pledges from people and, and then they still have some discretion, you know, we show it to them. So we sort of oversell the parking lot or we oversell the flight, right? We're kind of out there trying to stir up enough interest that we have, you know, more than more more capital saying, "Yeah, you get a deal that looks like that. Show it to me," because you know some people just have already deployed their capital or they can't move right then or they don't like the deal or whatever. Yep. So you know, we might give them back in when we we're doing just direct invest. We might give them three strikes and then we'll stop, you know, considering them real. Yeah, You know, if they pass on the the three deals in a row and they don't do anything, okay, fine. You're not, you're not real, but, but, you know, let's just say most of them line up. So the first thing to do on that, you know, five million, I got to make sure that I have already done the homework because if you get the deal and then you want to go suddenly raise five million, this isn't you, but this is the mistake I see people make in this business all the time is, Hey, I got to raise $5 million really quick for this awesome deal. Well, dude, you know, now you got to go to the buckets of money that are laying around waiting for that. They're going to extract a lot from you. You're probably going to wind up if you don't have uh, the the pledges sort of in place and 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 kind of oversold, you know, because not everybody's going to commit when you you're ready to go. uh, You're probably going to wind up with a JV model where you you bring in, you know, you go to the people already have assembled all those people, they put them into a fund and they you know put out what their mandate is and they they say, hey, we're happy being LPs under you know really good operators and they're advertising themselves out there. They're they're going to take more of the action they're going to want some control they're going to reach up into that gp and ask for some control but mm-hmm. but but they've done all the work they've done all the work to raise the capital and they got the mandate and they got the team in place and you know they know what they want and they just go hunting and so that's not bad it's not a bad thing and is it's, that one is that one check writer yeah yeah a, bigger group, that, right? yeah a lot of times they'll well they'll want to see you in i mean they, 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 hardly i've ever seen anybody ever do a deal unless you know the promoter himself had some skin in the deal five no, right um, i'm talking more so, so yeah, like no the, they the could take down stack. yeah they could take down 90 percent of it or so yeah it happens yep. all the time and yep. you know typically we call it a jv model because now they're really instead of a pure lp you know they're kind of an lp push, co-GP, right? right yeah they're kind of in there well sometimes they don't want to be a co-gp they want to be an lp but they've got some governing rights where they can kind of crawl up into the gp and tell you when you can and can't sell and You know, they want to be a table when you refinance and then they've got they've got eyeballs on you. They're auditing you all the time. Make sure you behave because most of the money is theirs. Right. So, yep. yep. um, And those are all rights that typically LPs have. If you if you syndicated that five million out to, you know, 20 other people, uh, you know, they have a lot of those rights, but they might not have, say, the right to decide when to sell it.
1: Right. Yeah. What what are the what are the structure of kind of LPGP? Any promotes there? What would you know, kind of because I'll give you a little bit more color on this one. So um, most of the comps on this one in the area are 90 to 130 a door, and this deal is locked up at about 70 a door. I think they're they're about 75% of where rents conservatively could be. So there's a big rent growth, even with rents cooling down and softening conservatively not unusual for a, a long-term
0: owner who's just cash flow oriented. Yeah. yeah. I mean, needs push market. Exactly. Actually, he's, when, when we manage it people like that, that's the strategy is to let's just be about five, 10% under everybody else's number. So we stay full and we just have yep. cash flow and thing. Right. So I totally get it. Okay. Yep. So he's leaving a little bit on the table, probably intentionally. So. Yep. And, um,
1: he ultimately is, you know, flexible on timing. Cause he's kind of working, figuring out what his, his thoughts are. So there's some options there. Um, but yeah, so looking at that deal, you know, how did, how would you structure and take that out? 80, 20, 70, 30 promote schedules, you know, what, yeah, what... I've,
0: I've seen all kinds of different models at the end of the day, you know, when you, if you, if you bought it and you held it for five to 10 years and you took all the proceeds out at the back end, when you close the LLC down and send all the dollars out, it almost always winds up about kind of 80, 20, you know, uh, mm-hmm. investor in the promote position is about kind of pencils out to about 20. Whether you put in prefs and ladders or you kind of do a straight 80-20 split or 8515 mm-hmm. or some other, sometimes we'll do a different split on the equity uh that will be distributed when the thing's sold at the end than we will on the cash flow that comes out. You know, we can maybe try different split structures to, you know, uh generate more cash flow. Um, so be a little more generous as the promoter generous to the investors on the cash flow piece. Yeah, We've I think that he, was,
1: he was wanting to structure it where um as he's done on his previous ones, um, no pref, just all capital is returned to the investor first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it there's kind of some uh nuances to that. Um uh at the back end when we sell the, the deal, um the first thing we do is we make sure the investors when we divide everything up under whatever the um uh, promote structures are the first thing we have to do is make sure the investors get all their original capital back mm-hmm. right we don't get to participate in anything unless at least that has happened yep. and then we get to participate right so they almost have we call it in the business a look back provision right um, there, so there's there's a function that's almost always there, a look back that that says that you know that we don't get to participate till you get your original investment back but it, it, it's not necessarily the case that you have to get all your money back along the way through the cash flow experience and all the way at the back end before we get to touch any of it as the promoter. In fact, if I'm an investor in a deal I see something like that, I I, I I first thing I, I'm i thinking is the promoter is going to want to sell this thing quickly because all of his return is captured in the right. equity. Yeah, they ha, they're it. not
1: incentivized or taken care of along the way. There's got to be some. So he's got a structure where he's getting some coins put in the slot machine along the way. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. You he, want there's, your promoter there's to promote those structures, right? As you alluded to yep. earlier. Um, and maybe you can give a little color of context on your guys' strategy in terms of how you structure your fees to make sure you guys are taken care of along the way and how that doesn't necessarily require you to be as aggressive on the split structure because you're collecting a good chunk along the way, right? Yeah.
0: Well, we're probably a little unusual because we, uh, we had a, uh, you know, an income from our property management company, the little engine that could over there always. So, you know, we didn't look at the <laughs> investment program that we created and, and it kind of became its own big monster. We didn't look at it as a place to really, you know, for for my my brother and I, uh, we were the kind of the heavies in it initially. Uh, you know, we, we weren't looking at it as a place to earn fee income. We already had uh, good incomes coming from the other business. So ours is a little different. We're a little lighter on the fees. Uh, we we chose strategically to not be brokers. We wanted the brokerage community highly incentivized to bring us deals, and if we had our hand out to participate in the brokerage fee, we thought maybe they'd. You know, it's a it it's not yeah. really a fully transparent market. You don't really know why the other guy got the deal when your prices were kind of the same. But you know, yep. if, if we were trying to participate in the brokerage fees and he wasn't, maybe that was the tiebreaker. Yep. So we got out of that, and so uh acquisitions fees can. typically market is right around 1% of the purchase price Mm -hmm. would spill into the promoter just to pay the bills. And that's pretty, you know, you, you need something to pay the bills. You need, you know, you got an acquisition team. That's probably all, you know, very incentive oriented and bonus oriented based on performance and getting the deal in the door. You got to juice them up. So most, most LPs are comfortable with something like that. The asset management fees along the way vary a lot. It depends on the, Uh, the program and the the promoter themselves you know we were always vertically integrated so we weren't trying to make much money on the asset management fee you know month to month uh we might have charged one percent of the gross income we collected on the apartment buildings on top of the management fee just to uh, pay for the asset management work but not much more than that um and then uh and then there might be a, a refinance fee. Sometimes people will do that if there's the work to do, which, you know, create a distribution experience usually for the in, investors. So, like, okay, well, there's some work to do there. there and yeah. there is a lot of underwriting, all that, as you know. And uh, sometimes people charge, you know, half a percentage point or something like that, you know, 500 bips for, for that trouble if they do it themselves. And then uh, maybe another, you know, uh, half a point to 1% disposition fee at the back end for, again, the work to you know, make sure everything is done right at the back end in if we're selling it. Um, so there's some fee income in there. Honestly, being a promoter is skinny on fees. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you know, you, and, and, and so that's, it's a, it's a hard business to go into (laughs) and, and live on the fee income. Uh, it, it, it helps to be, um, involved in some other things at the same time. So at least for us, it was property management, I know a lot of people are already in development. There's some development fees sometimes when they buy these things, they do a value add or they're building ground up. And then there's sort of this maturation experience that they might have that kind of matches what something like uh, the one in Houston you're looking at. So, you know, so it's it's not a fee rich business. It can be, in fact, but, uh, and I'll, you know, it's one of the things that investors new to us will quickly look for, you know, are you guys feeing this thing up? And, you know, a lot of ways people can hide fees and stuff. And uh, we don't. But again, we always had the luxury of some other places to go for that. But that's something for, you know, younger promoters to think about. Um, do I want to be a broker? Um, and will that, mm-hmm. you know, poison, you know, the the market or, or incentivize people or disincentivize them to bring me deals is one. That's a tough one, because there's some good money in that, um, that does pay the bills. And then you know if you measure these acquisitions, that's what starts driving you to these larger deals.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, one percent of a three million dollar deal.
2: Mm.
0: You know, it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna put anybody through school. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but a much bigger deal now it starts to get interesting. But you know. You can you can underfee yourself too. Don't I would say to anybody in this business getting going. Don't don't undersell what what you should be charging. You, know, you this is a sophisticated activity that requires good solid people that need to be incentivized and rewarded well to do it well. Especially if you're offering long term deals, right? Because uh, one of the things they have to be able to uh, LP has to be able to see in there is. Are you guys going to be around in 10 years? You know, you're asking me stamina. to stick. Yeah, grit. well, there's, there's all those resilience issues that we talked about, stamina, how grit. How do you assess that? Do you you even someone? look like you're going to be here? Like, are you, do, yeah. you know, what's how your you, incentive to stick around, right? Yeah.
1: I was going to say, how do, how do you assess that? How does somebody um, display that to a potential, you know, capital partner or LP, you know, really selling yourself. You talked about your son, right? You know, and some of the lessons that he learned and some of the things that he successfully was able to do as a 28-year-old going out and syndicating real estate, right? I mean, nowadays, the beauty is there's no lack of access to information and whatever you decide is your barrier of entry is your barrier of entry based on your mindset around where your barrier of entry is at. But there are absolute real physical hurdles that you got to overcome oftentimes around financing experience, right? A lot of the kind of variables you're talking about and being that GP, um, how do you, how do you sell yourself on those things? How do you sell your, your deal and sell your, your brand, who you are to, you know, capital partners?
0: Yeah. Well, just for what it's worth, you know, I I just, we, we, I've been, I'm still punching above my weight. You're never not punching above your weight. You know, it's just, I, I,
1: billion dollars worth of assets. And is it because you're always going after something bigger?
0: It's not because I have that problem. Like I, we don't, we don't live lavishly. We don't want all that stuff. Uh, Personally, you know, there's not a lot of that energy driving this thing. We're not trying to, you know, uh, or, you know, I'm sure we have egos, but, you know, we, we, we you know, they've been well fed that we don't need, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need a lot of attention for, you know, so, so, so why, so that, so that now I just, now you got to say, well, really? So you're punching above your weight? Well, what happens as, as our has uh, matured, we, we start to look, you know, my brother and I in our fifties, you know, we start to look, you know, reasonably successful and people are making these seven to 10 year bets on us. And, and they're kind of going, well, you know, you're going to be about 70 by the time this thing matures, you know, you look like you're getting close to out to pasture. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of a reality, you know, that we, we, we have to face. And so the reason we're punching above our weight is that we've attracted people in their, um, in their forties to come work for us in thirties and twenties, and mm-hmm. you know, so we have talent that looks like it'll outlast us. Now, we still think we're going to be doing this forever because it's a blast and yeah. serving, serving other people by helping them get into deals that, you know, we like enough to put a lot of our, you know, skin into, you know, and it's pretty low risk and they're pretty predictable and, you know, they do pretty well. But yeah, but I mean, you have to have the apparatus to, to do the grind. They know where I'm not in their, you know, paint departments anymore. So who's doing that, right? Um, so when I was young, that's what I sold. Sean and I are going to do everything. We're going to touch every damn piece of this thing. We'll be out here crawling over this thing. My my son, that's one of his pitches. Look, I'm young. I got all this wisdom around me. I kind of grew up in the business. I studied entrepreneurship here. I went to this great college there. I did, you know, I worked in real estate development for a great company and won some awards and all this hand-waving, great stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But on this deal, this thing, the one thing you know is that I got nothing else in my life but to make that thing successful. So Mm -hmm. he's selling what I sold when I was young. We also are, I'm selling you the 24/7. I'll work out, work the old guy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now over here, I'm one of these guys. I'm like an old guy now. now the other kind of going. Oh, I don't know if you're going to be around ten years, so I've got to build a different story to make sure it looks like I've got a strong succession plan. So we're punching above our weight because uh, how could I attract these this, these young, awesome people to come in and give us their best franchise years and play with us if I didn't want them to be successful? Yeah. So when they say, okay, you, you got a nice little thing going here. It's great. And it kind of took care of, you know, three or four of you guys and a bunch of these other guys, but I want it to be this. Okay. Then we're going to support that. So, you know, we form a family office and this year, speaking of punching above our weight, you know, we formed a, uh, we are doing a fund for the first time, you know, a $50 million fund. that got You know, go out and raise a lot more than we usually raise and put it in a fund and then go buy deals and, you know. What led, them overweight what led,
2: again,
1: you know. I was going to say what led to that and, and what's the thesis around it? Cause that kind of ties into obviously you wouldn't be raising a bunch of money and getting all aggressive towards scale. If you weren't bullish on what you do, who you're doing it with, who you're yeah. doing it for. So talk about the mindset behind that.
0: Yeah, this might be going on a lot of places. I haven't really talked to too many people in my seat in other markets, but what we saw coming through the pandemic, We'll back up a little bit because we're buying existing apartment buildings that have certain characteristics and sit in an ecosystem that are surrounded by certain uh, features and thing. We're big on neighborhoods and the stuff around them. It's a long, complicated thing. And then the employment base and, you know, make sure that's spread out all the stuff. I already know what kind of 50 to 70 buildings, 50 for sure, 70, if I kind of stretch that a little bit, I want to own from, you know, interstate five, all the way up the Canadian border, all the way down to maybe, you know, Medford, Oregon. I mean, I already know which ones work. So I can reverse engineer my whole business and say, okay, we should just be talking to those 70 people, the people that own it all the time. And a certain number of them are going to come up on the market when they hit, you know, their equity requirement marks, or somebody dies, or, you know, their debts do, you know, we know what all the triggers are that might cause that. And we're talking to the broach brokerage community because they're working those guys too right so we already know uh, which ones we want to own well going into this year we had intel that led us to believe there was going to be a lot more product coming on the market than Mm -hmm. normal Mm -hmm. and a lot of it was developers so developers going in the pandemic you know had to finish building their product but they were a lot of them were scared to death and and operating these things and grinding them for cash like we do every day is not their thing they you know yeah. they're just trying to hit a occupancy mark and you know stay in 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 their loan covenants and get this thing done and you know make sure there's not you know uh the sheetrock doesn't fall off so they were in that mode and scared in this pandemic because there was all this you know uh eviction moratorium stuff going on mm-hmm. and locking rents and all that, and so we talked to several who were building into these markets and amongst the 70, who said, I'll sell to you at a fixed price if you're willing to to take the risk. And then when I deliver this thing to you at 95% occupancy, or when I get it there, then I'll deliver it to you at that number. So we gambled on a few and wound up buying two deals that we put into the fund right out of the gate this spring, at a total of about 9 million behind appraised value when we brought them in. So that's why, so we saw a lot of, a lot more acquisition opportunities coming and we knew that if we had certainty of capital and enough of it in our hands, we could go get them. So we raised the first 30 of the 50 from kind of the, you know, people that have been doing direct invest with us over the years. And then the last 20, we're going to do in a more kind of traditional external marketing deal where we'll work our referrals and all that. But actually there's kind of some new frontiers in fundraising that are interesting to talk about that. Uh, called IAM. It's called investor acquisition marketing. Where sort of you know group funding is over on one end. You know that's kind of the crowd street. Uh, yeah, yeah, all over. that. Yeah, and they do great. Those are really cool. And then way over here is the old school. Pick the phone up and you know call a guy and see if somebody else will introduce him you know, to his aunt who's got some money and off you go right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the middle are you know now everybody's got kind of a digital footprint and a digital signature of some kind. So we can kind of find a hybrid, and there where we're directly marketing to people from targeted lists or, or groups, uh, but we have a digital means by which we can reach them that's much more efficient, and then of course throws a, a wide net. It's pretty efficient. It's, it's hmm. if you have the right kind of product, you can do that. So we're are actually, they are,
1: are they like brokerage houses or, or no? What, they're not. What is yeah, an IAM?
0: Yeah, I am it's just a a, a kitschy, uh marketing term for okay. investor acquisition marketing. There's a lot and they're all marketing firms. Um, you know, we have to have all the licensing to do what we do. And they they understand the business well. A lot of them come from the business. So, but uh but no, we we basically it's kind of the old school way of, you know, finding people for your direct invest program but enhanced with sort of some digital oomph and then some machine learning that can help you find other people more quickly than you would if you just were trying to, you know, set up lunches and zoom. And how
1: are you converting them into the fund?
0: Yeah. So, so once you get their attention, then all the, all these outfits do uh, uh, is they're just a a warm lead generation machine. You know, once they're, once you get a hit on a warm lead, I mean, you, you got to bring them in, right? So you have to restructure your company a little bit because you might get a lot of leads, which is the point. Uh, but so anyway, we're, we're trying some, you know, some things that, you know, we, we probably could get the 20 done the old way. And we're, you know, we're bringing in about, you know, 500,000 to a million a week, you know, that way. And so if we mm-hmm. just want to be patient and, you know, wait till the end of the year, we'll have it. Yeah. Uh, but we thought we'd simultaneously try this and, uh, and see how both go. And and so there's some new things out there to, to raise capital that, you know, are worth looking into. It's, it's pretty, pretty new. Um, and it's a little risky in some ways just cause it's a new thing, but if it works and we're convinced that, well, if you have the right product and story and track record, you know, those things at the end of the day, you got to have something to sell Yeah. no matter, you know, no matter how easy you can get to people now. So, so that's going on. So, yeah, you, you know, this, this, this history of being a direct invest kind of syndicator, you know, is, is really put us in a position where we're, uh, we've been accessing, we have access to deals in the market that maybe we wouldn't have had, you know, when we started. And I think mm-hmm. that is something that, you know, people starting out in syndication and, and, uh, and, in real estate business who are trying to buy deals and use other people's money as LPs to, you know, fill out the equity round there to go do them. To keep in mind is, um, at the end of the day, this still works on deals. I mean, deals are deals, right? And we didn't, I don't know why we didn't see this coming, but it took us, we've been at this about 14, 15 years together. It probably took us five, six years before we, we started winning. We were getting invited into, you know, best and final rounds a lot more. We're like, why is that happening? Well, the first six, eight deals we did, you know, we behaved really well. Everybody knew our underwriting was trusted and good because we came from this operator background. So we're not going to have a big, you know, oh, crap, what happened? I missed on this number. I got to retrade the deal. We never retraded deals. Here's our number. Yeah, we might move a little bit into the best and final rounds. And then when we get to the final number, if you pick us, it ain't going to be no retrade. You know, we're going straight to close and we're going to make mm-hmm. this experience enjoyable for the broker and the seller and everybody. And, and we didn't know how else to do it. We just thought that's how you should do it. Turned out that gave us a competitive yep. uh, advantage that enough, in some ways. You, yeah.
1: you end up with a great reputation around town that yeah. people want to just keep bringing
0: you deals. And so that's improves your efficacy. It's one thing to have your 60, 70 deals that you like and, and see a lot more of them coming on the market. So, Hey, let's go raise a fund. It's another to actually have a shot at those deals. Cause it's just so competitive and you don't want to overpay. Right. Yeah. So it, we, we've had enough circumstances. We buy some off market, like these two developer deals, but you know, a lot of times you just have to go head to head and see something that somebody else doesn't see that, that gets you the deal. But we've got a few that we bought were. We found out afterwards we were we we're not the highest bidder. We were maybe number two by a little bit, but they chose us because they knew we wouldn't retrade it. So access is a big deal. You know, We figured out with LPs we're talking to that if if you as a, a promoter have some sort of unique access, maybe it's just deep market knowledge. So mm-hmm. when you make a bet in the market, you really know where the, the risks and, and all that are. Uh, that gives you a huge advantage with LPs because uh, that market knowledge and access is huge.
1: Yeah. So as we wrap up, Tom, I know a lot of people are, uh, we'd be doing them a disservice by, you know, not asking about your overall economic outlook going forward and, you know, what risks, what opportunities are out there, things to maybe lean into and get a little bit excited or, you know, explore some aggression around, but also, you know, some of those areas that you want to be careful of the safety traps, you know, and uh, trap doors and build the safety nets in that you need to. You know navigate some of these choppy waters that oftentimes create some of the best opportunities for people in terms of wealth building and furthering their income and their financial freedom goals
0: yeah it's uh it's it's complicated to answer I'll try to do it you know really simple um uh, i i I abandoned a lot of, uh, of, of social media and and communicating uh and absorbing information from sources that I just found were distorting my uh, my view of reality. You know, if you read the news, I, you know, everybody knows what's going on, right? The media is yeah. trying to manipulate us to clickbait and all that. So, okay. So, so let's assume everybody knows that there's some issues there. So I pretty much really absorb most of my news uh, about ex- externalities uh that might be impacting the economy through Wall Street Journal and maybe a deep dive in Barron's or something like that. And then I spend a lot of time, cause, partly because I'm kind of a lazy guy, I don't like to read a lot. Um, Makes me sleep. <laughs> I I call people all the time. So my first bit of advice is I'm going to have an answer on where I think things are today. But I think what's most important for people getting going in real estate or, or trying to have some consistent success is find a methodology and a process to 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 filter information so you're you're getting good information. It's just so difficult. One of the things that a lot of the young people I mentor just say it's just so hard. I don't want to trust anymore. I agree. I, I agree. So yep. I I'll I'll state this to about 2030-ish. Um, and there's some uh some some writing and some theorizing that's and some research done on this by a couple of guys named Bolio, uh, a couple of brothers that have a uh a, a, some some depth in this and some other people that that's when this entitlement uh environment that we've created in the US starts catching up with us and so we just don't have enough revenue to, you know, cover all the baby boomers as they're pulling from the uh, you know, from the tax base and, and the tax base mm-hmm. isn't that big anymore. So anyway, what one, one or the other has to give, you know, we have to extend the entitlements out. Well, you know, the baby boomers have never not gotten what they wanted. That's just kind of a pathology that's unfortunate. And yeah, maybe there's some good in that too. So we have to watch that issue. And, and so I think, you know, be, be ready for a reset, you know, a pretty big reset in, in the U S economy that might cause you to want to be liquid going into about 20, 27, 28. So I just frame everything by saying those things. Like I have my way of filtering information. It's very focused on trying to get the truth. And I Mm -hmm. often I'm talking to people who I think are also good at that in different areas to try to get my information. So that's one. And then, you know, there is this looming issue uh, around, you know, U.S. debt that's got to get dealt with that uh, based on how human beings tend to behave, seeking pleasure and uh, avoiding pain, you know, we'll probably won't fix it through discipline uh we'll mm-hmm. probably have to go through it uh and that will be something that if you're liquid enough when things re- get repriced you know it's rough and a lot of you know it's horrible stuff happens at at a human level people yep. lose jobs and houses and it's awful you know but there you stand patriotically digging us out when things get to a bottom and and we start revving the engine back up so that's one so in the short run to answer your question more directly uh i'm 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 still pretty optimistic about apartments uh and and housing in most of the west coast uh and, and some other parts of the u.s uh i don't see us catching up with demand on the supply side for you know 10 years or so i mean it would, it would take massive political change to to change it you have to have not more than just a growth management act mandate you have right. to have change in uh it, you have to impose you know california's trying to do it in its own kind of way but I mean, you got to have something happen here to get the housing built because we have this nimbyism and selfish culture that doesn't want anything built near them once they get their slice of heaven. So that's got to get fixed. And that's not going to happen quickly uh, until we, you know, expunge that pathogen out uh, as it ages out. And, and uh, people who are young and experiencing high housing costs have faced that reality that uh, the generation ahead hasn't. So that's going to take some time to get through. So I would just be heavy into uh housing of any kind really i think single family building into the market i think building apartments if you can do it affordably uh, uh that son of mine that's active he's converting a motel into studio apartments in a small market but super underserved because they've been supply choked so i like i like that category we're staying out of the cities I, I think people need to be a little careful about the cities i just don't think city life is going to be appealing for a while it's going to take a while or, uh, still allowing too much crime to happen the uh, seattle for example has got about 60 65 percent of office occupancy back but that you know last chunk to get it to 80 85 is mostly about perceptions of crime and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so and we're not fixing and seattle's actually doing a pretty good job they had a you know, big summer and good tourist season and all that so maybe they're coming back quicker than others but we got to get that stuff figured out so i like i like i like your suburbs i like uh buying into the notion that we're going to have a lot of hybrid work uh and uh and I, I still like these, uh, uh, these port cities and port communities that have, uh, universities in and around them that, uh, tend to be younger on, on, the on the age side. Uh, I, I the external, externalities excuse me, that concern me are still that obviously that mess in Europe, um, you know, the war in Ukraine and what might happen there and, and, mm-hmm. uh, disruption to markets there. But, um you know, the forces at play there are pretty big and they're a lot closer to it than us. And so I have a feeling the Europeans and the Ukrainians and Russians are going to come to some settlement there so we don't uh, lose our our European buyers. So I can go on and on, but I, I'm pretty optimistic generally. I, I trust human beings to fix macro problems. I don't yeah. stay up at night worrying about global warming because I think we're going to figure out how to scrub carbon out of the, you know, out of the atmosphere at some point. It's yeah. just chemistry, stuff like that. You know, you, it doesn't happen fast, but I think we're going to, figure a lot of these problems out so are you guys gonna
1: remain bullish and aggressive on oh yeah deploying that 50 mil continue to operate and do what you guys do and i know that you know you uh, are always looking for ways to innovate and grow and expand so i'm always curious on where you're looking to challenge yourself
0: i didn't say anything about the other categories you know uh the hotel business is coming back i know you know a lot more about that than i do uh i still think office and retail are going to struggle as they kind of find their sweet spot uh post-COVID and the buying patterns kind of settle into something, you know, we're probably a little oversupplied in those categories still. Uh, so the thing I, I mean, we've been in multifamily workforce kind of housing, taking care of, you know, working folk, uh, you know, that wake up every day and go to work for a long time. And it's been pretty steady. And that's probably because it's poor human need, right? Everybody needs a place to hang their hat at night. And, uh, so, you know, we we stick with that. Now, you know, it, it's it got its own kind of low risk, low return story. It's kind of nice. It's the little engine that could, the singles and doubles. That's not for everybody. Portfolios need sometimes more aggressive growth. And so, if I were uh, a betting man in that, I'd say, okay, that's fine. I'd take some chances building into that environment. I would build multifamily or convert motels, or I'd, you know, I'd do uh, all kinds of things to figure out how to get into that undersupplied environment because it's just, uh, I just don't see it getting fixed anytime soon as long as we don't. You know, destroy the job market somehow. It looks like jobs are going to hold up here for a while. I'm a little yes. concerned about young men. I haven't figured out. You know, our our participation rate in the labor force uh, with with young men and and the college enrollment numbers are down. There's something going on with men that has my attention right now. That uh, I, I think could be a pathogen that we're going to have to deal with. In in, it's, in it
1: seems the like at least in a lot of circles and influencers and leaders and people that uh i am fortunate to be surrounded by and you know kind of gain wisdom that that's a big concern for a lot of them honestly yeah. i mean and i think ultimately i you know you've heard a lot of the toxic masculinity talks for quite some time and these pendulums and obviously this you know is just the truth you know liberalism and liberal policy ultimately um is what's attacking a lot of these cultural um ideologies we'll just say in the context of of men right now and masculinity and you know some of the things that have been staples of america and and being a man for such a long time now really kind of getting attacked and eroded and so i've been hearing a lot more of that men you know being um a lot of people standing up for i guess kind of fighting against That dangerous rhetoric against what ultimately, I think innately, I know I can speak for myself, makes me a man and makes me feel like a man. And, you know, uh, some of the other areas of life now, how that could um, ultimately be a big challenge in painting and foreshadowing a big challenge or some of the challenges that society is going to face and experience. That'll have a massive domino effect in all areas, families, careers, industries, the country as a whole, all of that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of arguments to be made for it being a real concern right now.
0: Well, I'm concerned about it for all the reasons you just described and and other, other people are starting to pay attention to it. I'm on a couple of college boards and you know, we're looking at, at trying to figure out why are the where, where are the men and you know, 70% of high school valedictorians are women and and, and it's not you know good everybody wants women to be successful that something changed in out there and the pandemic was horrible for men young men especially and uh, and you know so and we see all kinds of things but i but then back on business like i i i have i have to think about you know a 10 year bet in a community around, you know, the the people that are going to get up every day and have a job cuz that's the only ones I can have as a customer cuz mm-hmm. they can pay they could pay rent. The people who don't have jobs, I I God bless them, but I can't put them in my buildings unless somebody wants to pay their rent for them. Yep. Well, that, you know, that seems like something that y- you would expect, you know, most most guys to want and there's this sort of this, this thing I'm watching where I'm like, oh, man, i like, "Man, there's a bunch of them. I don't know how they're going to pay rent." <laughs> You know, you know, and I—I'm praying for him and I'm doing a lot of you know direct work, trying to figure it out and and you know and get into it. I think a lot. Of it, I think a lot of it wouldn't have happened if uh, if the pandemic didn't force us into our houses and then keep kids out of school so long. But I want to bring it back uh, and pay attention to it. I think that's a macro force that will take care of itself and maybe get better. But uh, that's going to impact the earning power. Uh, mm-hmm. a whole generation of renters coming up behind the group that are paying us rent today. that I watch watching closely. So
1: what do you, uh, what do you say to the person that goes, man, I want to know more about what Tom's doing and what Tom's got going on and, you know, for them to want to follow a little bit more along or engage with you, your company. How do people get more engaged with you, Tom?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I, I I'm an open book. Uh, I'm, I loan my time out a lot more now than I, I had, I didn't have the time before, you know, we're kind of empty nesters and, uh, and, uh, in, in that kind of stage of life where, you know, you, you, you want to help and, and mentor others. Um, you know, I don't have anything to sell. Um, you know, that's I'm, what I love about you. Every yeah, time I just, you're one of the most generous dudes and honestly wise and
1: successful, but just humble guys out there. And I think, you know, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday, how, Because we were talking about a lot of the things you and I talk about, right? And just concerns that we have for us, our kids, you know, future generations, all the things that I think everybody is concerned about and worried about, ultimately, deep down inside, we're, you know, outside of the fringe on the right and the fringe on the left, like, most of us all share many of the same, similar, logical, reasonable concerns. And it all you know, ultimately seems to rise and fall on leadership, leadership within ourselves, leadership within our families, leadership and ownership in our careers and being accountable to good values and things like that. Right. So that's, I just want to acknowledge you for all the, every time you and I have connected, gotten on the phone, all the times you've offered and lend a ear and, you know, opportunities and wisdom and resources. Um, Uh, it's greatly appreciated. And I want to say thank you for coming on and sharing some of that with the Millionaire Mindcast community today. So we'll be sure to link up all of that stuff. If you're a high net worth investor, and you want to check out, you know, credit investor, you want to check out some of the great deals that that Tom has. I mean, if uh, people always say, you know, how do I get into good syndication opportunities? And of course, I'm always, you know, sharing and pitching my own deals. But I've looked at so many different operators, so many different deals and, you know, people that don't have anywhere close to the track record and resume that you do. So if you are, you know, uh, an accredited investor and want to take a look at different deals, what's the best way for them to kind of get on your your deals list?
0: Yeah, I'm easy to find if you just... Uh you Know, uh, search on Google Hoban Family Office or Tom Hoban. Uh, there are a couple other Tom Hobans, but uh, I'm the one up in the you are the one Pacific of one. Northwest, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bearded <laughs> wonder now, or whatever I am. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and our company's names are Coast. Sometimes we show up under Coast Group, and I'm easy to find there and reach out. Um, people can always, you know, email me and find me through you. I'd I, you know, we'd love to take care of anybody who want to do exactly the sort of investing that we we offer, but I definitely want to, you know, endorse you and the work you're doing. I, the one, the one thing that the one what's in it for me that, that this is about, and and the other work that, that I'm trying to do to support others is we, we need more, uh, mad addresses. We need more ethical leadership. This marketplace got really disrupted and we got a lot of, you know, influence on it, and uh, you know the the more good people operating in the marketplace, all marketplaces, uh, the 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 better. More people will be. I'm a big believer in the marketplace as a place for mostly good to happen. But it, you have to have good ethical leaders that have a humble servant leader style to them. So I appreciate you keep going, man. anybody, anybody uh want to reach out? That's great. But yeah, uh, we'll we'll link all that up. What you're uh, doing all day long, and, bro. And all I'll say is, you know
1: getting that uh, getting that tailwind you know when you get great mentors and great people behind you i mean i can say that from when you and i first connected you know almost 2 years ago to today my net worth has grown a couple million i have grown as a leader i've grown as a business owner i've had many failures along the way but you know when you get around people and conversations and environments that inspire you and challenge you and get you thinking bigger and giving you you know, some of the, the stepping stones to get there. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta give thanks for that. And, uh, I, that's why I'm grateful for a Tom Hovind And, uh, I know the millionaire my cast family is as well. So thanks for coming on the show today, man. Appreciate you. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today, or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to RichlifeAcademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always want to know, who do you guys want to hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.